Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali will be held from the 10th to the 13th of April, right here in Verona. To discover more about Vinitali and get your tickets, visit vinitali.com. This year, the Italian Wine Podcast will be live and in person in Pavilion 6, Stand A7. So come on down and say hello. Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. So, thanks for listening in, and let's get to the interview. Hi, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. My guest this week is Silvano Brescianini, who is uh, president of Consorzio Franciacorta. Silvano, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Steve, everybody. Can you give us a short bio of yourself and kind of how you got here? I, I thought you had a very interesting history with uh, experience on in fine restaurants, and that played a role into your appreciation, understanding, and ultimately uh, purchasing and managing a winery. Okay, Silvano Bresciannini, born in Erbusco. Grew up with my grandfather, who was a wine producer in, in Erbusco, from Cicorta. And also the grandfather, my grandfather, was a wine producer in Erbusco, from Cicorta. So I did a study in um, hostelry school and I uh, began to work in a restaurant at, uh, very soon, at uh, 17 years old. And I get the opportunity to work in a top uh, two-star restaurant in, in Italy. At that time, San Domenico Imola, who is still also a great restaurant, and Cassiette Lugeliano di Castorino del Ponte. And uh, I worked as a waiter and then uh, as an assistant sommelier, a very outstanding wine list. And uh, at that time, opened a bottle of, uh, I don't know, Lafitte, uh, Margot, or Romani Conte was not so rare. <laughs> he had the opportunity at 17 years to try uh, all of these kind of great wines. And also, I was part of the team of Italian chef because I also work in the part of the kitchen restaurant. And San Domenico with Tony May opened in, uh, in New York, Central Park South, May 88. And I have a, this great opportunity to, to work and live in, in, in Manhattan, in New York City at uh, 20 years old. Uh, later, I went back to Francia Corta. I opened a small restaurant, Piano Bar, uh, with uh, some friends. And uh, in uh, 1993, was part of the, the team of uh, businessmen who bought uh, the Barone Pizzini winery from, from the Barone. And uh, the project for me was to open a restaurant, and I did in the summer of 94. Uh, later, two years later, I started to follow the wine production. And uh, because my, my, my experience, my point of view, my background was as a sommelier and consumer, I start to think different and I try to avoid uh, pesticide, and herbicide, and uh, in 98 I started to produce uh, organic wine in Francia Corta, and Pizzini became the, the first winery to uh, produce uh, organic Francia Corta. Did you have any anticipation that uh, producing organic wines and then all that's since followed, sustainability, biodynamics, and all that kind of stuff, was going to become that important in the world of fine wine? 
back then? Absolutely, for many reasons. First of all, because uh, now we have knowledge. In the 90s, the information about uh, how working organic had to do better was uh, uh, not so deep. Uh, right now, we have uh, experience all over, uh, not, not only in Italy, not in South, but in Europe, uh, all over the world. Second reason, uh, the, the feeling of the, the winemaker and the producer are different. It is, uh, it's, it's possible and it's important to work more sustainable and uh, take care about the, not only avoid to spray pesticide or herbicide, but at the same time uh, work in order to keep uh, the richness for biodiversity into the vineyard. That's the key point. And today we also need to be sustainable in terms of um, the, the people who work into the vineyard as well, of course, and uh, the, the, the CO2 impact. Save energy, save water, and uh, avoid pesticide. It's, it's a little bit more complex, but... Uh, not, not, not impossible. Yeah, well, it's it's gone from not impossible to uh, certainly not necessarily not common, but um, pretty common now. And certainly on the uh, using the word sustainable, which has has less uh, or fewer restrictions legally. A lot of people are are certainly leaning in that direction. So let's talk a little bit about Franciacorta and and the history. I know you had told me that the region has a history where it was first mentioned in 1277, but Franciacorta as a sparkling wine producer is really only in the last. 20 or 30 years or so. Can you give us a, a little background on French Court as a region? Yeah, the first bottle was produced by Franco Giuliani in Vito Berlucchi 60 years ago, in 1961. And, uh, and unfortunately, this gentleman, Franco Giuliani, just left us. Uh, of course, uh, the last uh, 30 years, uh, with the, also with the consortium, the consortium was born in uh, March uh, 90, uh, grew up, and uh, right now we are around 20 million bottles of uh, shipment. Uh, French Corta is a region in the province of Brescia, and we are lucky because we have the, the particular situation of uh, eels of uh, morenic soils and a long tradition of uh, winemaking and also maybe not sparkling as we do today, but uh, of course, you know, with uh, books written from uh, agronomists and doctors in uh, 1570. Rich people uh, try to save the sweetness of the juice and they spring, they open the barrel and they start with fizzy and crispy wines. So uh, rich people in French Quarter enjoy fizzy crispy wines since uh, five centuries ago. But uh, today we are a very important region for, uh, for Italy. And uh, uh, the grape uh, more popular is the Chardonnay, which is 80% of uh, the vineyard surface, and then Pinot Nero 15 and Pinot Bianco. Uh, recently, uh, since 2017, after uh, more than 20 years of study, we uh, introduced into our law uh, a local variety, all the local variety called Herbomat, which is now the beginning of uh, the study because uh, we know how working in the vineyard, but we need to understand how Franciacorta, with a part of Herbomat, developed in, in aging. Okay. point I want to make early on, I, I've been watching the sparkling wine industry in the U.S. for more than 30 years, and I've been very impressed by the impact that Prosecco has had on the U.S. You know, it used to be in 90% or some large percentage of the sparkling wine sales in the United States happened in, uh, you know, November and December, the fourth quarter. Sparkling wine... A- AKA champagne is always thought of as 
a celebratory wine, not necessarily served with food, but, you know, uh, kind of a separate celebratory thing. Prosecco has completely taken over the U.S., not only Prosecco on its own, but also the concept of the spritz, Aperol spritz, which, you know, we think is a wonderful invention from Italy, almost as good as pizza, probably goes well with pizza too, and has allowed Americans to think about sparkling wine, and maybe new generations of Americans too, not old people like me, but uh, think about uh, sparkling wine as a food wine, as opposed to just a celebratory wine. Where does Franciacorta sit? Because you're more on the champagne, the authenticity, heritage, and all that kind of stuff than... Um, and, and more importantly, it's it's tradition, méthode traditionnelle, which means secondary fermentation in the in the bottle, as opposed to uh, Charmat bulk, which is the way Prosecco is. So, talk a little bit about how French Corda has been impacted by the impact of Prosecco in the United States. You know, I think uh, Prosecco it's a wine who did an important role because bring a young consumer, a new generation of uh, drinkers enjoy bubble. This is very good. For, Good point, and you know, it's not so. Uh, uh, we don't, we don't, do not have to forget uh, today in a country like the US, uh, wine is not so uh, a tradition. It's uh, something different. People like me, I grew up in a family where we produce wine, and uh, since the beginning of my life, a bottle of wine was always on the table, lunch and dinner every day. Today, new generation, even in Italy, they don't, they don't have this experience. Wine is something new, and uh, Prosecco bring uh, a new generation enjoying bubble, enjoy wine, and this is perfect. This is. Uh, Prosecco is our friend, absolutely. And so we need to explain uh, a bubble is not only for a birthday, it is not only for a graduation, or not only for, for a situation or, or a race, but uh, a wine um, to, to enjoy the, the meat, the food, the lunch and dinner. And uh, I think we are lucky because today uh, bubbles are very, very popular. The consumption is growing and the interest is growing as well. Uh, Prosecco is perfect uh, to introduce, but uh, the second step is to start to look at wine with more complex, more texture, more, uh, more deeper, and more like champagne, of course, but also as well like uh, Franciacorta. So at the end of the day, we are, uh, myself, I believe uh, Prosecco is a very good friend and uh, it's a, it's a good wine, of course, and uh, the, the role of Prosecco to open the door with the new consumer, it's extremely important also for the Italian wines. So here we have a whole new generation of people recognizing um, sparkling wine from Italy is a thing, okay? And maybe they had some experience with champagne itself and probably more likely with American sparkling wine not produced um, in the champagne region. And while your production is not outrageously large. You're only doing uh, 20 million bottles or 166,000 nine-liter cases. The growth has been phenomenal over the last couple of years. And even in spite of the pandemic and the challenges that's had on the on-premise, which is where sparkling wine has always been strong, you've had significant growth up 18% in 2021 versus 20. I presume 22 is kind of following along similarly. How has that, what, what's been driving that um, in, in spite of this, you know, the impact that the COVID has had on the U.S. market. You know, we we were waiting uh, new vineyard production, 
Uh, but we are farmers, we have to fight also with the winter, and we had a big frost in uh, five years ago, 2017. So we haven't the, the bottle enough for the market. And finally, uh, after a couple of good vintage, like 18 and 19, we were able to introduce uh, last year the, the, the bottle for many from vintage 2018. So and we finally have a possibility to uh, open new market and uh, send uh, more cases into, into the, the US, uh, Japan, and other, other markets. We, we grew up, especially last year, also because in Italy, after the COVID, the first quarter was a, a red zone with the restaurant closed. But when we opened in May and June, everybody wanted to rediscover the, 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 the joy of uh, meeting people, uh, gathering together, enjoy a nice bottle. So we had a fantastic year. So unfortunately, right now, we are uh, talking during a a war in Europe, so it's crazy, and uh, we have everybody scared here because we don't know what's happened, uh, but for sure nothing good. It's a very bad situation in Europe. You are compared a lot, French Corda is compared a lot to Trento Doc because for a couple of reasons. One, you're using some of the same varietals or traditional varietals. You're doing the secondary fermentation in the bottle, using mechanical riddling and so forth. But but basically the, the comparison ends there. Can you explain to me why the, what the difference is between Franciacorta and Trento Dark, which are both Italian producers? I believe the main difference are into the vineyards, uh, especially because uh, here we grew up a vineyard in a Goyo style and often with uh, 5,000 or 6,000 by for hectare and some producer also 10,000. In Trento, they use the, the pergola system uh, with a lower number of vines for hectare and higher production. Also for, uh, for the production for hectare because here we produce uh, 65 hectoliters and uh, in, in Trento, if I remember correct, it's, it's more because it's 70% or 150, it could be 80 or 90, 20-30% more. And also uh, the soil, of course, are different, not the elevation, because the uh, elevation is very similar. In Chocorta, it's around 200-300 meters on the soil level, and as well, the Trento is very, very similar. Uh, but uh, the soil here, we have two kinds of soil, mainly moraining, but also the, the, the soil uh, older from uh, from the limestone left uh, from the sea. And uh, in, in Trento, the soil is more by the erosion of the Alps and the mountain they have uh, on the back. Uh, on the back. So this is the main, uh, the main difference between uh, the, the, the region. Uh, another, another region here, we have uh, another main difference. We have 121 producers, uh, mainly are uh, wine grower, so 99% of the producer here also produce wine, produce grape, have the vineyard, they do all, all the chain, starting to pruning to the discussion. In Trento, there is uh, some uh, big player uh, as a cooperative and uh, one very, very, very big player. So it, it's a different situation, but the main difference for sure are uh, in uh, into the vineyard, how many bottles we can produce for hectare, which uh, 20-30% less in Franciacorta, and as well the minimum aging in the bottle, which is uh, 
So one of the questions I have is uh, about the awareness of French Accorda in the United States. Have you guys done any research or has any research been done that you're aware of that speaks to the awareness of French Accorda sparkling wines in the United States? Not yet. Probably it's too early. As Italians, we are lucky because uh, we have the great Italian restaurant all over the U.S. And of course, Italian food and Italian restaurants are the first ambassador of Italian wines, or even from Chocotta, of course. Today, you know, we are a small region, a small market, the export is small, and even the U.S., we are at the beginning of the history. We did a couple of events in 18 and 19. We were near to increase the damage into, into the U.S. market and increase the, the activity but after the COVID arrived. And uh, right now, we probably restart with the new events in, in June, probably in New York. And uh, we are waiting to, to, to be able to go back uh, on the market and uh, meet our friends uh, from restaurants. Well, we welcome the visit. So one of the things I've seen is that uh, French Corda has certainly has awareness and been embraced by the sommelier community. Sommelier community has been uh, hit hard because of um, COVID and, and so forth. And so the challenge, as I understand it, is is now focusing on consumer awareness and, and interest. Can you talk about some of the programs that you plan to be running in the U.S.? In the next year or so? Yeah, Sumeli already, and uh, an expert already in Northern Chocorta. What we need to do today is uh, do better uh, uh, communication to the to, to market for the, for the consumer. We just uh, start with a new PR agency uh, where I pass. And uh, normally we try to, uh, first of all, to bring people, uh, journalists, and Sumeli to visit from Chocorta, who's the better choice because. Uh, if you can visit the, 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 the vineyard and the winery, it's always better. But at the same time, uh, do events and um, occasions in order to introduce Fuchaporta in a nice uh, location like uh, we did last year with the Emmys uh, Awards in, in Los Angeles. But as well, we have a different partnership with the fashion brand, the Italian fashion brand, because we are also partnering here in Milano with the Camera della Moda, who is the institution who uh, organized the Fashion Week in Milan. So partnership with uh, everything is the top quality, uh, top brand, uh, top luxury brand from Italy. We try to partnership and do activity together, mixing uh, fashion, uh, high quality product, and uh, when it's possible also arts, arts and culture. So there's a, a, a budding or growing um, thing in, in Milano called Milano Wine Week. Have you guys participated in that? And um, how impactful do you think that is on your business in Italy? And then what impact might it have in the U.S.? Yes, we are. Uh, we participated in Milano Wine Week since the beginning with uh, the different kinds of events. The main one is uh, to collaborate with a restaurant in a, in a in area Milano called Brera. So in this, this part of Milano is in the center. Uh, restaurant often uh, offer to, to, to the customer a special, special uh, uh, selection of French Quarter by the glass during the week, of course. And uh, we are doing at the Milano Week uh, some different seminars 
in order to present the different styles of Chicota, the Sitan, the Rosé, the Zirbozage. And as well, uh, we normally do a tasting with the producer because, I mean, it's a classic way, but uh, when you have an opportunity to talk uh, with a glass of Chicota with the, the producer, it's always... Uh, so one of the things I think that really differentiates you guys is, is very interesting, the, the concept of no dosage. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, you know, before you do, one of the comments I like to make is Americans have two favorite flavors, crunchy and sweet, right? <laughs> and, and zero dosage is, is counter that, but it's also kind of an alternative to the very sweet Proseccos that tend to dominate the U.S. market, which have somewhere between 12 and 17 grams of residual sugar. So talk about no dosage as a style. Zero dosage is growing, and also the dosage we have in the brood is becoming lower uh, every year. So we are lucky because we have a we are north of Italy. We have a good ripeness, so we do not we do not have uh, too much acidity. Uh, we have a very good balance and ripeness, so uh, we do need uh, uh, sugar to balance the acidity. And uh, in the last. Uh, 40, 30, 40, 50 years, we develop a culture about uh, sparkling way making. Sparkling way making uh, is not, uh, uh, I know it is not easy to explain, but uh, we, we do not produce wine and then we add uh, fermentation to get the bubble. White wine way making is completely different than sparkling way making. We need to, especially during the press, the first hour after harvest, we need a to take care to not crush the berry and to separate the juices. So after uh, years and years of experience, now we have a very good knowledge and uh, we are able to produce a pure wine and avoid to exit any bitterness and any vegetables. So at the end of the day, uh, our dosage of sugar are very, very low just because we don't need it. Uh, we don't need sugar. The, the wine is already balanced without the dosage. Uh, this is more clear in the last five, ten years and it probably will increase. The, the number of no dosage, even some are labeled brut or brut, but there is no dosage. And uh, I think it will be uh, 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 an important support for our wine in the future because uh, if you are balanced already without, without uh, use sugar, it's, uh, it will be better for, for everybody. Okay, so it's it's a point of difference, as, as I like to phrase it, it's a point of difference that makes a difference. It also changes the wine consumption experience. I mean, if you, if you take out sugar or don't add sugar in, in the concept of, of no dosage, it changes the, the flavor experience of the wine. How does that impact wine with food? No dosage, sparkling wine from Franchicorda versus Brutes or Extra Dries or things that might be more common in the United States. I think a consumer is looking to have uh, pure wines, uh, uh, more and more uh, pure, I mean, something less uh, uh, work at less... Uh, intervention, or, yeah, 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 right, yeah, yeah. Less intervention as possible, and, uh, and zero dosage or low dosage are in this direction, and consumer uh, agree and uh, understood. You know, as we said before, we are a small region, the quantity we produce is very small, uh, we... Our number is not to have an impact from the market. We don't change uh, the market. But uh, the consumer who want to have a, a pure experience of wine and uh, they will enjoy Franciacorta and they will enjoy Franciacorta also because of the disaster. So it's an opportunity to experience sparkling wine in an entirely new way that they've not experienced before. And in the case of the younger generation, shall we call them millennials and uh, Gen X, 
um, it is discovery. And it's also a function of sharing and the impact of social media and all the rest of that stuff. Now that we're back on track, we've reduced the mask wearing in the United States. People are going back out to restaurants. I think there's this kind of openness. But the question I, I'm asking is, what cuisine goes better with Zero Dosage sparkling wine from Franciacorta in comparison to the type of cuisine we Americans are used to, where I might be drinking, you know, Valpolicella or, you know, any of the Sagrantino de Montefalco or Primitivo or, or how does, where does Italian cuisine fit vis-a-vis -vis no dosage French quarter wines? Well, for sure, uh, as aperitif, uh, with appetizer, with fish, with pasta, uh, and also white meat like uh, veal, like uh, chicken, turkey, if you were doing a, a barbecue with a barbecue sauce, maybe the second time the is better, <laughs> but <laughs> or a, a valpolicella, of course, but uh, with salad, appetizer, pasta, fish, and sushi, sashimi, uh, I try such a corta with my friend, with, with the Mexican food. Uh, you know, for, for the Italian point of view, these many things were very, very popular and normal in uh, common in the uh, US. Here are extremely, extremely strange, new, uh, especially the, the Mexican food or uh, the Indian food, uh, not so popular here. So uh, I don't know if you ask me the best Vietnamese uh, restaurant uh, in Russia, I'm not sure who is this. Vietnam cuisine in, in Russia. <laughs> well, for the record, I had a, a bottle of French Corda, yours actually, with Mexican the other night, and it was spectacular. The food was great, the wine was great, the experience was great. <laughs> and it was like, uh, <laughs> I was you. not planning that, but it just kind of happened. You know, every so often you find there's a bottle open, you know, it needs to be consumed. So, uh, I mean, with, uh, with, uh, with meat, uh, you can try with a uh, roast or something, a butter, uh, barbecue, especially barbecue, uh, American style with a barbecue sauce. It's too sweet and, and to, to, to support the zero dosage. And this is not a bad, you need something with a sweet, very sweet, or everybody is better, maybe a bottle of Marone. You need sweet with sweet with, with that kind of a situation. Yeah. So we've talked about a bunch of things here. If you were going to, if a listener was listening, what's the one takeaway that they can take away from this conversation, fact that they learned about French Accorda that they might not have known that you think is significant? What's the, the practical piece of information that we've talked about? I think the, our history, you know, we are Italian, we are full of history, but uh, uh, French Accorda have a very important history for the position for the city of Brescia, where, you know, Brescia is one of the uh, most important uh, Roman city north of Italy. It is a beautiful museum to, to visit uh, with uh, many, many uh, statues. It, it, the museum, the city, and, and the, of course, the church, where in Italy there is a church, very, very old and very interesting, with uh, beautiful uh, painters inside. And uh, our Franciacorta, even if it's small, it, there is different. So the north, the south, uh, uh, and it's nice to visit in order to discover also the, the food we have. Uh, if you are in, in the south, uh, close to Rovato, there is the, the mandaloli beef, uh, which is typical. If you are on the north, close to the lake, there is the fish for the lake. And uh, for our position, uh, we are uh, in the middle between uh, Milano and Verona, but you can go to, to enjoy ski in uh, one hour or an hour or something. 
the car. So we are in a lucky position with a lot of history and fine food. So can be an interesting place to visit. <laughs> well, I didn't know about the uh, the Roman history. That interests me and uh, you know, a reason to come and visit. So, so we've been talking this week with Silvano Bresciannini, who's president of the Consorzio Franciacorta. And I want to thank you for sharing your time with us. And uh, I look forward to uh, when you guys come to New York and I can get a chance to taste all the wines at the same time. I think that will be really interesting. If people wanted to get a hold of you or the consortium, what email or what, how would you like them to contact you? It's easy. We have a website, www.fetchocorta.net. And you guys are going to be at uh, Vinitaly this year as well? Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. So I will, I will be there as well, and I'll be stopping by. One, one of the, my favorite experiences in, in Italy is the first day of Vin Italy and the chaos that's outside the doors of the Pala Expo, which is just this mass of people. And I've found a little secret that if you go along the wall all the way on the right, you can sneak your way in and, in front of like a thousand people really quickly. <laughs> I don't say in the, uh, the podcast anymore. It will be no more secrets. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, thank you again to uh, Silvano. Uh, this is Steve Ray. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. And please join us again next week. We're going to have another fascinating um, interview with somebody involved in the Italian wine industry. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vin Italy International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. For more information about Vin Italy and tickets, visit vinitaly.com. And remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. Hi guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.